2: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Oh,
3: Recorded live. Well, hello, hello, hello out there in my listening audience. Hey, it's your girl, Barbara McGee, and this is Great Talk from the Hired Brush, And I've got my co-host here and some wonderful guests tonight in the penthouse. And I want to start off by just saying that this is uh, a wonderful day uh, today. What do you think about that, Rodney Best, a wealth expert? Are you there?
0: Hi. I, you know, I had a beautiful time out in the Bay Area today <laughs> seeing people smiling, and uh, and people were actually saying hello. So it, it seems like we're coming out of living out of that fear element, and we're starting to just relax and realize that we all need a friend
3: sometimes. Uh, Absolutely, and I need a friend, and I, I I just am so happy that we're able to get together and have this kind of forum. We have a couple of special guests here in the penthouse once again. Uh, for part two, we've got a little bit of noise going on. I just wanted to uh, uh, say that we, I do hear some noise there. All right, so I just wanted to start off by introducing Pastor Kwaku. Pastor, Dr. Kwaku, are you there? Yes, I am. All right, and tell us again, just recap a little bit about your credentials and about the family um, uh, solutions that you run and your co-head of. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and uh, how that relates to being a friend of the show. Go ahead.
1: Okay. Uh, first of all, my name is uh, Reverend Doctor Ninana Kweku. I have a, uh, you know, I have a doctorate in psychology. I have a master's degree in in uh, social studies, social work, and. Uh, I am heading up an organization called Family Solutions, Inc., where we deal with mental health issues and family counseling therapy. So uh, mm-hmm. I've been in the Bay Area doing this for 40 years, and I intend to continue doing it for another 40, with the blessings <laughs> of the year. <laughs> Absolutely.
3: Pastor Quaker, we support you 100%. And then my special guest, uh, coming uh, in from Berkeley, California, as I said, uh, for this Show this is chapter two, or part two, if you will, of the experiences going down in Berkeley, California, of the youth uh, at Berkeley High School, which uh, I know several uh, wonderful people that are art graduates, gone on to. Uh, UC system, gone on to some of the black colleges across the nation, and have just made the best out of their experience because they came from Berkeley High, and it was such a progressive, such a step up in education. So we have Monique Law. Hello, Monique.
2: Yes, I'm here. Sorry for the background noise. I had you on mute and um, I'm at a city council meeting and I stepped out in the hall for this radio program and I appreciate the invitation.
3: Absolutely. Well, we appreciate what you're doing and we thank you for what you're doing. Now, you are the Berkeley youth. uh, uh, Help me. Tell me again your title and how that relates
2: to young people in trouble in Berkeley. Sure. So I am... uh, a member and also a uh, co-advisor of the Youth Council for the Berkeley, Albany, Emeryville, NAACP chapter, the oldest civil rights organization in the country. So the NAACP, as you know, is committed to excellence and to advocacy for people of color. Um, our black students, we are currently supporting and they are in uh, struggles that they're enduring with regard to discrimination, discrimination, um, racist death threats, allegedly sometimes a so-called joke, which we do not find funny. Um, there's microaggressions on a daily basis. Also for UC students that are a very small number. I graduated from UC Berkeley, and I heard Pastor speak of his credentials earlier. So if you want my background, I'm UC Berkeley graduate, class of 82, political science, and my, ju- my juris doctorate degree, my law degree from the University of San Francisco. And then I practiced law for 25 years in Washington State. But as a co-advisor to the Youth Council, we're here to support our young people, Um, and what we are doing, we just voted at the NAACP Adult Branch uh, Saturday meeting for Berkeley's chapter to file a civil rights complaint against the Berkeley Unified School District uh, with the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division. They have an educational opportunities section that enforces federal laws that protect students from discrimination and harassment. So that will be happening, and I could give some information for those who may want to send in their additional examples of disparate uh, treatment with regard to discipline. We have a disproportionate number of discipline cases against black students as young as kindergarten and first grade, which is outrageous. We have threats that occur daily. We have students being called inward, word um, not getting opportunities that are equal to other students, and you know, the list goes on. Um, particularly with regard to harassment in a hostile learning environment. So that is something we will address. Uh, the NAACP will take action to support our young people.
3: Well, well, we certainly appreciate that, and we were privileged last week to have Bernadette Coleman, uh, who also is on the uh, Berkeley NAACP Youth Council, and she amassed uh, Raven Wilson. We had uh, uh, De- Deshene, I would think her name was Boyton, and then we had uh, Yale Adams. They were so well-spoken. And to Mm -hmm. hear them just kind of uh, spill out their day, their activities, and then to hear them say how negatively this impacted them and how they didn't know how to handle it, and then to hear them say, but with all that, I still had to apply myself academically. Do you remember that, Pastor Kwaku, how each one of those children, how they said, we're dealing with all this. We did our march. We responded as best as we could. We organized because they really didn't know that Raven was uh, someone who was uh, two techs away who was affiliated with the NAACP, one young man who was a, a, a a young man of color who was in the classroom who was not affiliated with the NAACP, said that he would immediately reach out and become organized because he felt more safety in numbers. Pastor Kwaku, tell us a little bit, uh, in two minutes or so, tell us a little bit about what do you think after witnessing that and ministering them last week, what do you think they're going through right now because, you know, there has now been this um, Uh, as she spoke about, Ms. Law spoke about filing, um, you know, paperwork to um, make this known that these injustices are occurring and there has to be some kind of immediate action taken, what kind of position does that put them in in the classroom every day?
1: Well, you know, first of all, let me just say our young people are experiencing this in 2015 here in Berkeley.
0: California.
1: I think that speaks to the lack of interaction on our part to educate our children about this system and how it works. A lot of people might look at that and say, well, we don't want to pass on stuff to our young people, but I, it, it's better to, to give them the, the, the right information so they will have information to fight with than for them to go out there blind. They, they're probably still in shock about this whole thing. Uh, I have people call me and say, man, in Berkeley? I can't believe it. I said, brother, racism exists all over the planet. It's just not in, in, in Berkeley, and people are surprised because Berkeley is supposed to be one of these places where it's been one of the front runners in terms of, of people rising up and fighting against systems. But for for African people, it's still 1960. It's still 1960. We have not progressed a long way. I, I sent a, a text to a, a, a what's Stacey Dash today. She was talking about how we can overcome racism through education and integration. And I had to remind her that we integrated and started a long time ago. I was part of an integration process, integrating white schools in the South in the 50s. And today, in 2015, our young people still have to experience that. The only thing is they're not equipped to deal with it because they don't know what it is, it's not pointed out to them, the parents are not talking about these things, they're acting as if they don't exist any longer. So I I, I still believe that these children are going through a shock situation where they don't know what to deal with and why, and they're probably wondering, why wasn't we made aware of these situations? You know, and so um, I, I think they're just still they still in a lot of stress and
3: shock about it. Right. Well, Miss Law, I want you to know that we here at Teacher Five cl and at Stray Talk, we opened our hearts and our doors. See, we were there at the Lee, uh Representative Barbalee and uh, Congresswoman, I mean, Barbara Lee, and there were several uh, city officials there at the St. Paul Church, which is the mm-hmm. uh, first AME church that is, right there in Oakland that serves that greater area. And uh, mm-hmm. it was just really shocking when mm-hmm. we were there and we were there to stand with the young people. I knew in, in, intrinsically that they would be present uh, to speak mm-hmm. their mind and to get it off their chest so that people could hear the story. And what was mm-hmm. starting to happen was, was people were requiring more information about it and they were giving their story to the news, I think, Uh, some of our local, I don't want to name any names, but some of our local news stations. And then they say they killed the story. The story was Mm -hmm. never actually rendered, never showed on the air. So here we Mm -hmm. have our children with a real situation. And Mm -hmm. so my point was, who do they call? I mean, who do they Mm -hmm. call when there is a date given, December 9th, and there's an imminent threat. Mm -hmm. Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. uh, and, And it's not like we haven't seen this I mean the word wrench is a very uh, in our um, culture it is a very serious linked to an enormity of terrorism that we have endured for centuries in this country so it, it really brings about realism and action so let mm-hmm. me ask you um, so in terms of the NAACP okay so when people are in trouble how does the mm-hmm. NAACP play a part
2: So it's always an open door, right. So what we do in many instances, including with the school district, our president, Mansour Adin, has gone forward to the school district to bring these uh, complaints to light. Um, They've not taken it seriously enough, clearly. Um, So that is the reason we're escalating to the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice to do a full investigation and to call for action, including on this young man who apparently admitted to uh, throwing out this racist, uh, death threats. Um, on December 9th, the school is planning some assembly of some kind, but we're not finding their plans too adequate. There's a black parent student group meeting this evening, and they've prepared psychologists, professionals who can provide the healing and support and encouragement that the pastor was talking about. Also, I think a number of us in the NWCP have an education, having been born in Alabama myself in 1960, and my parents also having to integrate the school to the uh, the invitation, well, they were addressed by cuc members as they came onto the campuses in Alabama and Mississippi and Tennessee. So we have um, some education amongst ourselves as this middle generation, if you will, my 50 year age set, that, that our 20-year-olds and younger. I agree with Pastor about the need for them to be empowered and educated. That is a very big role that NAACP has played for over many years, 100 years. And uh, we'll continue to do so. So sadly, as you may not know this, I don't know if you know, but with Mizzou, there's a day of solidarity with um, University of Missouri undergoing the threats that they've had where students, uh, black students have had to be escorted and uh, to safety. Students at Yale, university, um, all over the campuses in the United States are having these death threats and feeling of uh, insecurity that these students, the number of them, I've been in meetings with them from the high school level to the university level, and many of them are so shaken. I agree with Pastor also about them being in shock that they missed class, they can't focus, they're experiencing a lot of PTSD type of symptoms with regard to the trauma. So we're looking at healing. Um, there's a healing circle at Campanile on UC Berkeley campus at 12 noon tomorrow, and the UC students, um, Black Student Union and Black Student Union at BCC, as well as the high school, are coming together to support all black students nationwide. And their appeal to simply focus on education instead of constantly having to fight for their survival and their safety. And that is the school's obligation, of course, to provide that safe environment, which they're failing to do. So we are calling for action um, with some specifics that we're proposing to the school district on the December 9th date, on the date of a threat, that that turns into a day of healing instead. Um, So the cultural competency is questionable for many of the white students teachers, the students clearly need some help, but the white students don't have a sense of inclusiveness um, or embracing of people, um, since this young man apparently we want to push on that as well, that he not just get a slap on the face and is allowed to go by the wayside without any attention to consequences. I apologize for the noise in the background. Um, So um, Berkeley City Council is a very uh, active group of people in our community, so we have some issues about homelessness that also has racist undertones because we know 40% of black people are our homeless population. We're only 8% of the population in Berkeley. So we are facing institutionalized racism on different levels, and um, including in the schools. So we are here to address it, and the NAACP is a forceful group to uh, make sure they don't ignore us.
3: Absolutely. So my question for you is, is when we were talking with the students, uh, and of course Raven uh, Wilson, who is the vice president, of the Youth Council, Berkeley, Emeryville, Albany, uh, uh, NAACP. It it was brought to my attention that they found this gentleman uh, that put the threats on, and it was said uh, that they weren't sure if they were going to expel him or if they were going to suspend him or write him up. I mean, they they were very lackadaisical about what the outcome was going to be for this young man when this was obviously a hate crime. Uh, Rodney Beth, my co-host. Rodney, what did you think about how the young people posed that question when they were saying, well, we're fearful, we don't know, the guy hasn't come forward, they won't release his name, they stand and hide behind the fact that he's a minor and that maybe this was a joke as, you know. So, I mean, what do you think about that? Tell us in like two minutes what your feeling after listening to these young people was about what they took away from not getting their justice, not being – feeling safe because there was no apprehension and no um, uh, punishment.
0: Well, you know, I, I listening to the, to the youth um, expressing their opinion about how they feel in regards to what action was taken, I was, I was really impressed with the fact that they wanted to get a little bit more proactive. And that's, that's where I think the separation has come with the NAACP in the black community. The black community doesn't really recognize any proaction from the NAACP. And I think the only reason that that is there and prevailing is the fact that we don't have any media exposure to the good things that are going into the community, but we have a lot of media exposure on bad things concerning blacks. You know, I, I was listening to a, a, a speech that Martin Luther King gave back uh, years ago and how the, the word black was uh, synonymously made a very negative thing. And right now, today, folks, we're doing the same thing. But we're talking black crime. We're talking black char- uh, uh, challenges. You know, I, 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 I listen to, you know, uh, uh, to both the doctor and the the attorney. But I I think we've come a whole lot further than what we give ourselves as people. And we need to expand on how do we fuel the positive into our children's minds. And the proactive thing that these kids were looking for was not to go and say, I'm going to sue you. I'm gonna take you to court i'm gonna charge you with this. They want to see something where there's gonna be some stoppage. you know stop you know and and i don't i don't hear I don't hear stop coming in out of America today. I hear a lot about diversity, but I don't hear stop the black negative. let's start. Infusing black positive. I don't. I don't see black positive. You look at uh, you look uh, at the media. It's not there. How can we infuse black positive? Mm-hmm.
3: mm-hmm. Well, well, uh, Pastor Crayco, could you uh, 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 kind of uh, give us some background on what happens when someone is in fear, someone is threatened, someone is treated differently, and then still has a certain expectation. What does, what, does that, what does that come up with in terms of their ability to socialize, their ability to be able to uh, see themselves of value? How does that relate to our children? Well,
1: I, I think what it does is, is that it, it creates another layer of division. Uh, you know, diversity, And uh, the brother was talking about, you, if you are a black child and, and you experience these kind of things, when you are in an environment where it becomes predominantly white, like Berkeley High is, then Amen. it makes you feel very uncomfortable. You don't know who to trust. There's nobody for you to reach out to. So it creates a lot of anxiety. We have people who are taking medication strictly, our children in schools now, who are taking medication because they their anxious. Uh, they don't know how to, to relate to their environment. So it creates that kind of scenario in your mind. And I can say, you know, I remember as a young man uh, a long time ago, and I'm probably telling my age here, yeah, but I integrated the school in 1957. And and when we went to the school that morning, they, had a, they took the flag down, and they had a black dummy hung with a rope around his neck hung up on the flagpole. And I'm thinking – what in the world are we integrating here for? There's no way we're going to learn anything here, you know. And so I think it creates the same kind of thinking in the in the in the, in the mind of the child who is experiencing that. That right. I can't focus on work. I can't focus on calculus or or English or, or science or none of this stuff because right. my mind is constantly, uh, you know, in be trying to observe things going on around me so that I can make sure that I'm safe. So it it creates that kind of a situation where people are feeling very unsure of themselves. And and I think the advantage that we had in my era versus now is that our grandmothers and people prepared us before we went out the door that these things were going to happen. Beware of this. Watch out for this. You You stick together. Look out for each other. That kind of mentality. Now we live in a society where people are more individualistic, and yep. and 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 you start uh, carrying on a conversation that has to do with blackness, and even black people will run away from it. So you know we have a lot to do. we have a lot of work to do education wise. You know, and uh, and I like to I have to say some the NAACP has been is great is a great organization. It's just like any other organization. Some of them are more effective than others because. I was arrested myself in Boston during the riots, during the early 60s. And you know who got me out of jail? I wasn't in jail five minutes. The NAACP came and Uh got me out of jail Uh and and threatened to sue the Uh city of Boston for everything that was worth, but they didn't charge me or let me go right then. And Uh I was only standing up for sister that uh, you know the these white people that decided they were going to disrespect because she was by herself with two kids you <laughs> see can that, I
2: that, uh, I want Barbara, to can just I get in real, real that? quick oh, oh, I want okay. to well. go go,
1: go yeah. ahead go ahead Mrs. Ms. Locke. what I'd say is a lot, a lot of people a lot of people think that the NAACP is just like ambulance chasers you know <laughs> mm-hmm. they they but, they look whenever something comes up if it's real they will come
3: to the rescue. But you got to have the right power. Absolutely. Go ahead, Ms. Law, go ahead.
2: You no, know, I, I wanted to address two quick things. Um, I agree that we need a paradigm shift with regard to a focus on the positive as opposed to the negative roles in the media. We have taken that on. On the day after this incident, we called a press conference at the NAACP and eight different media outlets came. It was in three newspapers and on two TV channels. We also reach out to black media, and we try to encourage that. We also provide a number of programs for empowerment and black pride and power and excellence that these young people are supporting themselves through education. And so that is something we speak to, and we actually provide a number of workshops. We provide a Black History Month throughout the year. We constantly have that message being shared. I also disagree with respect to NWCP being a meaningless, empty vehicle of some kind. Um, we do have problems where it's not quite the uh, – activist group that it was of the past. But Thurgood Marshall, I think, would be happy to see some of the activities that we are doing that he did many years ago. Whether it's individual advocacy or for a large um, school that we're addressing the issues with the entire school district, our president and our members, they're all volunteers. Nobody gets paid in NAACP, of course, at the uh, local level. So when they go to a school and they meet with that teacher who's trying to discipline the second grader and expel the second grader, that was the NAACP. When they're at the school district and they had a new out on the campus at Berkeley High School, that was the NAACP, when they had other issues that there was something else that happened, a yearbook, where it had a racist reference in the yearbook at Berkeley High School, WCP yes. mm-hmm. came out about that. So we do talk about the, from the middle school to the elementary school, to the university level, and we're out there on economic issues, for fair wages, for housing, and on economic justice and racial justice and housing justice. So. It is not uh, on paper only. It's an active organization. Our numbers could certainly be larger, and we're actually recruiting young members to join us so that they do get this education and empowerment, so that they do feel Mm -hmm. that sense of belonging, that they know I have a 24-year-old son. I've taught him the same things you're talking about. You know who you're dealing with when you go out on the street. You know you're a mark and you're a target racially profiled, even though you're a college student. You're brilliant. And you, as I was taught, we always had to be twice as good to get half the consideration. So with regard to that pressure, it's still a reality. With regard to Mm -hmm. racism and its institutionalized nature, it's still a reality. I disagree that all the students are down. um, They're depressed and overwhelmed by this incident and the number that are occurring around the country and the police brutality and the number of deaths that have occurred. But they are brilliant young people. I was out at the march with the Berkeley High School students when they walked out last week. I work around the corner, so I just went out in the street and walked up with them. They had their speeches down. They had their presentation. They talked about nonviolent marching. Anybody that's not about it needs to leave. And we are here about black lives mattering. And that is what we're here to do. They, they were very focused and principled and I thought very impressive. So I don't find them as um, feeling weak and like victims. I think they're victors and two or more gather in the same. Many of us feel that spiritual power that we do have as resilient people. So the message to me is that black folks are resilient as ever and that we have to fight back, and they're doing so nationwide. Social media is another area that Black Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, social media is very alive right now with a lot of messages going around to encourage that positive image of Black people. So, the mainstream media, I agree, is hardly trying to share our positive stories, but we talk about our students who are excelling, that are going on to the university, that have gone into professions. We talk about people doing advocacy and legislative work. Um, we give them examples of careers that they can pr- pursue. We have networking, we have all kinds of events that we're trying to do, and we do street, you know, level grassroots uh, organizing as well as legislative um, and political. So, um, and it's not just NWCP, there are other organizations coming together. Healthy Black Families is an organization in Berkeley that had a forum with black psychologists on Saturday talking about the linkages between racism and uh, the, race, the economic gap, the opportunity gap, you'll call it, not the achievement gap, the opportunity gap for black students in the schools. So there is a lot of work being done in Berkeley, and there's a lot more work to be done. I want to share a number real quick, if I could, please. Um, yes, US of, Department of And this is not trying to file suit against people. It's trying to get action by the school district to do something uh, actually um, – So we want a substantial action in response to what's been happening in the Berkeley School District, so we're asking people to send complaints. We're going to have a formal complaint with some of the parents present at the meeting tomorrow night at the Berkeley Unified School District meeting at 7 p.m. They could also fax their personal stories. There's some very tragic stories of what's happening to kids in the school district. They can write it in. They have to write their name, their address, and what school the student was at, and it's 1-877-292-3804. Okay. Let's say that number again. That's one 292 3804 That's the fax number to call to fax in any complaints that they might have um, to share what's occurred to their student. If it's in the Berkeley School District, we want it to be known. We know a number of stories and examples. We've had people come to the NAACP to share that, and our um, officers have gone out to those schools to meet with those uh, principals and teachers to turn that around, but we want to take it on at the higher level and get Department of Justice attention to these matters. Uh, well, you know what? I so appreciate what you're doing,
3: and I, I'm, I'm just in awe. So uh, you know, I know you're at the council meeting. Everybody, you're listening to www.t25cl, Galaxy Talks Radio, and I'm your host. This is Straight Talk with the Hired Fresh. My co-host is Rodney Best. Uh, special guest is Pastor and Dr. Uh, Kweku, and then we also have, am I saying your name right again? I want us to make sure you get your credit correct. Ms. Monique, uh, Monique Law, correct?
2: Yes, it's Monique, just M-O-N-I, Law, L-A-W. Yes, yes. yes absolutely. That.
3: Monique okay. Moni Law, yes. Monique Moni. Moni Law, yes. And she is... Uh, very accomplished, and uh, working uh, with the young people at Berkeley High School who were our guests, our team guests uh, last week. And, uh, you know, so here's my question for you, Ms. Law. And uh, are you Mrs. or Ms. or Mrs. Good? Uh, Tell me how I should address you. Ms. Ms. Law? Are you
2: asking me? I'm sorry. Oh, yes. Yes. Ms. Law is fine or Moni is fine. uh, uh, Okay.
3: So my question is, on December 9th, do we call the police? I mean, this is, this is what I am concerned about. You know, I had a conversation with a young man, uh, Pastor Quake, who not too long ago at my church. Now, this is a very large, he might be six four. He belongs to my church. He lives in a place called uh, Del Paso Heights, which is the Twin Rivers School District in Sacramento, California. And uh, mm-hmm. just last weekend, uh, there was a young man killed, that's on the football team where he played, And uh, I asked him, I said, so what would you do right now if, you know, somebody wrote up when you're walking home from school, if the police wrote up on you and they said to you, hey, young man, uh, hold up. I want to talk to you. Stop right there. What would you do? And he looked at me in my eye, looked down at me, and he said, well, I've reached in my pocket and I grabbed my phone, and he pulls out this black phone, the case was black, And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, he would have been killed right then and there, right then and there. And his thought was to call his mom because he's never had the dealings ever in his life with the police. So my point for you, uh, Moni, is what happened on December 9th when other teenagers or when they decide, when they go to school, get up, and they go to school, and they have the program, and other teenagers, you know, teenagers are mischievous, other schools, you know, not knowing somebody might say something and you feel threatened as a student. Mm-hmm. Who do you call as black people? Who do we call? Should we call the police and ask for reinforcement? Should there is there another layer of protection that you think should be provided for black students when you know that there's an in Eminent threat. I mean, what actually can we ask for in the classroom? I had young Yale um, Adams gentleman who was on last week who said I was the only black in the class and I didn't feel comfortable. And my Mm -hmm. teacher, who was white, was trying to talk me down from the incident in the morning. He did the best job he could, but he said I was compelled to go outside and be with my brothers and sisters who also Mm -hmm. felt the same as
2: myself. My point Mm -hmm. is
3: who do we call to stand with our children and our
2: parents allowed on campus to support mm-hmm. their children? So there might be three P's. You know, the pastor, um, the police, the popo probably last because they often shoot us instead of help us. Um, and the past would be the Black Panthers. Uh, and it might be an organization, a nonprofit, uh, the NAACP, and other groups, parent organizations, or your own parent. But we are doing Cop Watch. We have also an active Cop Watch organization that's teaching. Young people, how to respond. NAACP has a little pamphlet. Um, I could send that to you, to your show, and you can share that with other young people. Actually, do that in the end. Yes, absolutely. Okay, it's a little pocket guide. They carry it in their pocket and they carry it wherever they go. And they know how to respond and they know how to increase their chances of staying safe, of course. There are too many trigger happy police officers who are quick to um, hurt our children. But we are here to also stand up against that. With regard to training, there's uh, national groups that you've seen now, they go out with cameras and accountability and social media. There's a lot of pressure now with Black Lives Matter coming up against the police departments to ensure that officers who are out of control are disciplined and prosecuted uh, criminally for the crimes that they commit. So the young people need to know that people have their back, um, but also that they could have their own back with regard to how to handle their business when they're facing a police officer who's presuming that they're guilty of something when all they're doing is standing there walking while black. So I know about walking while black, and most young people are learning it now, um, but they need to know kind of how to deal with that um, and how to respond specifically with particular tactics. We do role playing. We have a whole training. Um, We have cop watch, um, actually, sessions that go out on the street, and people volunteer, and they go out. A couple of them are black students from Cal And they go out and they watch incidents and they follow uh, radio calls and they see how the police interact with the community. And they're there to protect people. So I think that's some hope. That's the hope I see is that there's action being taken and not just um, succumbing to this is some new reality that we have to accept. That's not it. We're actually standing up and pushing back uh, nonviolently, but we are standing up and taking action. Absolutely.
3: Now, I know you're at the uh, city council meeting, and it's a uh, little bit after 8. I don't know if you have to go back in, but I do do have a question. And the question is being posed from the board. The question is, uh, uh, so how can the citizens who
2: are concerned for the young people uh, be of service? So the citizens in the community, um, these young kids often need like a hug. And frankly, just like somebody who's their auntie or their uncle, you know we have play cousins growing up, um, we're extended family. So um, if you're an ally, what they're calling allies or people, uh, white people that are supporting Black Lives Matter or black people generally, black youth. Um, they could be supportive by listening and responding as needed, not trying to take the mic or lead or take over. But for the black community, we need to be there, I think, as they Extended family. When I went out there and I talked to a lot of the kids, they know me, some of them know me by name, or they call me Auntie Moni. I give them a hug and they feel that reassurance. So I think a lot of them, what I've heard is because they are a small number, I agree with what Pastor said earlier, um, they do feel isolated. Well, they're not feeling isolated when hundreds of family members show up. And we call ourselves family. We are family at Cal. I've created a, a DVD, or actually a video I produced to show the black community at Cal to make it a more welcoming place that people realize there's a tight-knit community. It's small, but it's tight-knit. So with folks come through from UC Berkeley, uh, BCC, the community college, um, other professionals in the area, Berkeley High graduates would be really beautiful if for those who are high, Berkeley High graduates that say, that's not the kind of school that I want to have representing me when they don't respond properly to an incident of this nature. So police, as far as that, I think they should have additional security. They have resource officers on campus. Um, Most of them are African American, actually. um, But they need to have additional backup with regard to any copycat or crazy nonsense that might try to bust out because they should have people feeling protected that are there. Um, So we can do it as members of this this community, our personal bodies in place to stand there and support the students and just have a listening ear. Just be there to listen to them and to give that wise counsel. Like Pat said, they need to know, okay, this was in the 40s and 50s and 60s what we went through and sadly 40 to 50 years later, you're still going through it. Here's what you need to know. You're a beautiful, brilliant, bright, young black person and you are everything God made you to be and nobody can bring you down. So you lift your head up high and we're going in with you. So we all go arm in arm, standing together. So they're very well organized. I've seen the students actually organizing this action for tomorrow at 12 noon. And they're going to march um, through the city and, 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 and make some noise. Is this mar-
3: and why don't you go ahead and tell us where this march is going to be?
2: Um, it's starting at the Campanile Tower, which is the middle of the campus at UC Berkeley. They're having a healing circle for black students to feel supported, encouraged, and nurtured to have that healing time. They're going to start with that at 12 noon tomorrow. Um, then they're marching down through campus into downtown Berkeley and then ending at uh, Martin Luther King Park, Civic Center Park, which is on the corner of Center and MLK, Martin Luther King Way. And they're mm-hmm. having a celebration and a time for people to feel supportive of each other. So if folks want to support Berkeley High students, Berkeley High is directly across the street from the um, the Martin Luther King Park uh, Civic Center Park. So where we end will be right across the street there to support the Berkeley High students. But we're going to start at the university in support of Mizzou and other universities going through racist attacks and march through the city and end up at the park. Oh, that's beautiful.
3: That's beautiful. I, I
2: just really want to support you, and I know if you've got to go back into the
3: meeting, I plan to have uh, Pastor Kwaku talk a little bit about our mindset how we go forward, how we become more positive. I'm going to have Rodney. We've got some callers that are going to weigh in. And then we're going to go over these uh, Cop, uh, Berkeley Cop Watch. Cop Watch. Cop Watch. Yeah, yes, the, uh, yes, yes. yes, the pamphlet, the pocket mm-hmm. guide that I have here. And I'm going to read it so that if you uh, would like to. Uh, Pastor Clayco, do you have a question of Ms. Moni? before?
1: No, not actually. You know, I'd just like to add to, you know, that I totally 100% support uh, all of the philosophy that she's talking about. And, and certainly we need to be more educated. And I think the Cop Watch is a, is a great addition to what's going on. But I also think that probably, I was just thinking of this while she was talking on the phone. We need to have a hotline where people can call 24 hours a day whenever they're victims of racism, you know. Uh, yeah. black people feeling threatened where they can get an immediate response because you might call the police and it may made, made it, if it's a non-emergency thing you may never hear from them till the next day or whatever and if you right. pull your phone out and start filming stuff and with the police you never know how that's going to turn out so I oh, think yeah. we need to have a, a, a complete uh, you know something for ourselves that we can contact and they will be there to support us and uh, I think that's one of the things that I'm going to be working on. It just gave me a great idea to, to find a way to, to create a hotline for people to deal with these kind of issues.
2: I love yeah, that, that idea. idea. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I say something to that? They actually have a oh. similar thing on Twitter. So people do tweet out messages. So when people get arrested or there's an incident, the message goes out immediately, and they have a network of a number of people throughout the country and Black Lives Matter. But old-school picking up a phone and having a crisis hotline to call into is a beautiful idea. I would love to see that happen.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we support that here at T25CL.com. And that's what you're listening to. You're listening to Galaxy Talk Radio. I'm your host, Barbara McGee, and this is Straight Talk with the Hired Bus. And we are talking with uh, the uh, Berkeley youth advisor, uh, Ms. Moni Law, who has been advising the young Berkeley High school students in this recent incident that has shocked us our nation and our state because with Berkeley as it is and how it is, you know, we have really thought that uh, our young people in Berkeley High would be exempt. And we really thought in my mind that they were having one of the better, more greater, more enriched uh, educational experiences. But then we found out, Rodney, remember what the young man told us last week, he said that they have a uh, Berkeley High is one of the only schools in the state that has an a, a, uh, uh, African-American studies department, but they don't have a teacher to administer the classes and uh, someone like a dean that would be over. Rodney, why don't you play what he said? Wasn't that shocking?
0: Yeah, we, uh, we had, I had mentioned in regards to when – back 45 years ago when I was in high school and this this exact same incident occurred back in Somerset, New Jersey. I'm trying to get some of my uh, classmates to weigh in on it because we were held at gunpoint from entering the school and out of our proactive uh, request, we received um, a black history department and we had more black educators that came into the school system that allow the kids to receive the knowledge from someone of the same skin color. And, and we 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 really felt proud about that. And this young man said, you yeah, know, well, we have that today too, but we don't have a, a, a African-American, a black, a colored, a Negro, or slave as the names we would recall teaching us. He said, we have someone who's of European descent or some other nationality. And in. Mm-hmm. And and, and when he he said it, you know, I I wasn't surprised because the requirement for black literary education has really gone back, and and it's up to us as people to to step up and do something about that. I don't know how we can when we're, we're apathetic in the voting for education. But one thing I'd like to suggest is our senior citizens are sitting in their home daily those that are health-capable of being utilized in the education system, we have senior complexes, senior citizen homes of African-American, black, colored, Negro slaves that are sitting there. Why, why, why not ask them to come back into the education system to monitor the kids in the hallways as we once did 45 years ago. You know, and, I, and, and, and real quick, I want to say this. I'm not saying we're going backwards, but, heck, what we're doing is not working. If it's not working to the perfection that we perceived it to be, why not bring in some people who will give the respect, requirements, to these kids. And I'm not talking about running to get a whole bunch of African-American females. I'm talking, there, there are a lot of black male seniors that are sitting in the senior complex every day playing checkers, playing chess. But the Urban League, the NAACP, the city councils, they, we're not, let's reach out to them and say, hey, would you like to come in and hang out with us, hang out with the kids? And and have lunch in, in 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 the school system because the kids aren't seeing it. Maybe we can begin to let them see what it takes to have a life, to see what it would look like as you get older. I mean, that's just a suggestion. I don't I don't know how to how to how to make it happen, but I know back in um, my day, getting out of high school, we had a lot of our mothers that came up and volunteered. To stand stand in the hallway and become and become monitors. They wasn't paid no money either, but I'm telling right. you, it really really made a difference. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Maybe we yeah, have to to reach out see. to the parents and tell them come come stand around the grandparents and let them right, start you know. monitoring.
3: Well, well, you know, I think that's a great idea. But you know, I I have a I have a kid. I you know, that I've got kids, and unfortunately. You know, I just started getting this message that was more than clear to me right about the time that my daughter left uh, grade school, which was fifth grade, and was entered into middle school, which was sixth grade, which I firmly disagreed upon. She just was not mentally and emotionally, Pastor Clay uh, 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 Clue, mature enough to be able to be with eighth graders or seventh graders or, or older kids but that's the way the district is. And when I went to to the meeting, you know, I was going baking cookies. I was in the classroom. You know, when I went over to the meeting, they let us know at the orientation that we weren't welcome on campus. You've got to make a date call. This is not grade school. You know, so we were asked out in front of our kids. And I thought that was really uh, irresponsible on behalf of the staff. But this is the culture that we live in. They want the kids to be there, locked down on the campus, and they want you to sign in, and they want the teacher to give you permission to sit next to Little Johnny and Little Sally in class. Pastor Quaker, why why is that? Why is that happening that way? What do they have something to hide, or, or why, why can't we just go in and be there?
1: Well, they they they're hiding it in plain sight. Uh the the whole objective with the whole new school system and I look at this from a historical uh, perspective, coming from uh, Brown versus Brown and the integration of the schools, and that's when our black uh you know black males started to exit and out of school teaching and then it became dominated by women. And then I in fact I know some sisters right now who are retired or are retired early because they were sick of dealing with the bureaucracy in the system in terms of them being able to teach. So the whole process is to take control of our children. Amen. And I, I'm not sure. I think it was Anthony Browder who said that the people who have control of the information that goes into the children of your minds are the people who will control the world and they'll control the culture. And so we have allowed that to take place. We, and one of the reasons is because we don't have any political clout. One of the things the sister was talking about in the NAACP, we we have these organizations. We have a lot of organizations, but we really don't have the kind of power to step up and really facilitate the things that are necessary for our communities and our families to be healthy. And I think that's where we have to go. And that requires a whole lot of things. That requires economics. That requires taking control of our schools or creating our schools outside of the realm of the. So called public school system, so uh you know we're going to get exactly what we are getting until we step forward and try to take control. I remember when they uh, took music out of school in Oakland, and we went down and we marched until in the middle of the night, and the city council sat down after twelve one o'clock and refused to vote because all these families were down there with babies in their arms. And when when we would have to leave, they know these families got to leave because they got to go to work, their kids got to go to school. Then they vote some other time later on on the process. We, uh, as long as we allow them to control that dynamic, and and we put our children in it, we're never going to have the, the 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 gravitas to you know to be able to control the information. We have to be able to control the information. So we have to have, and I think I mentioned this at the previous show when you go to Asian people. They go to public school, then they have their own school when they go back to the community. We are going right. to have to do that. As, as as much as our people don't want to hear that because some of our own people look at that and say, well, that's like discrimin- reverse discrimination or uh, we're not integrating like we should. Well, integration isn't working for us. Right. Martin, Luther King, Martin Luther King said it before he died. He said, if we are ever going to reach the the levels of of, of respect and freedom that we are uh, uh, we are due, we are going to have to find a way to do it that do not depend on the sympathies of white folks. If we are going right. to sit around and wait on enough liberal minded people to come about, we are going to lose a whole bunch of generations.
3: Mm. Well, you you
0: you you're saying diversity. See diversity has shrinking our numbers of being able to actually go forward and make make a, make a statement. I mean, exactly. when, you, when you diversified the community, it said, okay, we got this many blacks, we got this many, this many, this many, and we are very well diversified. But as the kids got older, they moved away. So that means the grandparents were still there, but they were out of the school system because they didn't have a child. And the other child moved away, and they were moving new people into the community. And today, we're beginning to see it. The NAACP, everything that she said out of her mouth tonight, I concur with, but they say they're seeing it. And see, diversity has moved into Berkeley, and now they're starting to see it. Wait a minute, hold it. Where's the representation?
2: We're we're
0: We're not back at square one. We're back where we need to do something. Where is the reference? How did Berkeley get white? Yeah, exactly. exactly.
3: White? They got white because exactly. of the diversity. You know? We don't mean that negatively in the sense that, you know, we do as black people, as a black woman, a parent, a, a citizen, a good citizen, a Christian, I do want to coexist with my neighbors. But the problem that I'm finding is that it has become a uh, echo crow going on not Jim crow but echo crow Amen. In, the sense that, in the sense that we're being priced out and that right. and that we we are we, so when they come into the neighborhood they're not bringing their children they're not bringing young people to replace them so what's happening is we're starting to find that our kids are in school with people who who are so let me put it to you like this. In order for my daughter to go where she's going, I had to get an interdepartmental uh, transfer. So how many people know that language? When you see that this is not working for your son or daughter, do you know how to go to the district and demand some, some other alternative and get it? These are some of the things that we need to share with one another because it's important us Patrick Plankus, uh, go ahead and weigh in, and then um, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about this Berkeley cop watch. Yes. go ahead. Well, go
1: ahead. first of all, I, I I agree with you. I I like to coexist with my neighbors too. Doesn't matter who they are, but we have an old African proverb that says, I it's a sin for me to want for myself what I don't want for my neighbor." Mm-hmm. And and the problem is that our neighbors now. Are only looking out for their benefit, and we are left without any avenues by which to, you know, to, to go out there and let it be known what we're about and what we want. And, and we have to we are the only group that can't make any demands anywhere because we don't have political clout and we don't have economical clout. So it's time for us to the beginning of that is I believe, and I talked to a, a bunch of educators and other doctors and stuff is that we have to start getting to our kids in kindergarten and we have to start educating the new group that's coming up now so that 20 years from now, we won't be experiencing this. We've we've moved for 50, 70, 80 years from the 50s and 60s, but we're still in 2015, we're still in that same horrible uh, place of limbo where we're not making any progress, sure, you can look around you say, well, there's a lot of so-called African-Americans, blacks, who have progressed and have became rich, and some are even political, in, in political seats, but they don't have any political power. They're in those seats. It's just like uh, I remember when Ella Hugh Harris was the mayor of Oakland. It, it was not the black people in Oakland who put him in power. It was the white money from down south that put him in power. And so we can have all the people we want in important jobs. If their job is to protect their constituents, then we are gonna be in trouble a long time in the future.
3: Mm. I wanna to go to Ms. Law. Ms. Law, um, what do you think we as parents can do educationally in terms of being able to combat the system that's working against us? What can mm-hmm. we do to make sure that we have an opportunity to be uh, equally uh, uh, treated uh, in the classroom uh, in terms of the outcome of how our children are counseled. I think it's very important to understand that, you know, when we're tracking, when we're being tracked in our education process from the beginning of school all the way through, what ends up Mm -hmm. happening is we're not even given some of the right courses by the time we get to high school to be able to go to the UC system, to be able Mm -hmm. to... So what mm-hmm. do you say uh, in terms of your statement uh, to families that are struggling and feeling like they're being underrepresented in the school when they go to try to gain justice on how their child is being given, mm-hmm. scheduling mm-hmm. in the classes, how they're being directed to their future, and how mm-hmm. that compares to a white student?
2: Right. So, the Title VI of um, the Civil Rights Act and educational opportunities have to be equal without regard to discrimination. Which there's plenty of evidence of dispar- discriminatory treatment in the schools. What I would suggest, similar to an earlier idea, I think we're having a lot of brainstorming here because the crisis is creating a lot of uh, solutions. Um, as Frederick Douglass said, without pro- Without struggle, there is no progress. So we struggle, but I think we're going to make progress by having advocates. In Washington State, there was an organization that helped parents go into the school uh, to meet with the teachers, the principal, and the superintendent if necessary to ensure proper education for students at their level. I heard you talking about your daughter's situation, and and I've represented students, and I've seen school districts, but at the level of a parent with an advocate, Um, That happened with NAACP president. He went in, and I was told at this last NAACP uh, Berkeley chapter meeting on Saturday that this mother has to go into the school with her second grader who's had write-ups in his file already, Um, and it was advised that you get copies of everything they write, but I think you should go not alone but come with a support team. I'm thinking out of the box here, but um, a lot of people have local universities and community colleges, and some want to be educators. So those who want to go into education are um, young black people and those going back for a second career, or the elders. I like that elder council idea of people coming from a nursing home or they're in assisted living or they're at their homes. They come into the schools and they assist these families to advocate for that child. So there's an IEP process. Are you familiar with Individualized Education Plan? Okay. So what I was told, and this was sad and shocking at the same time, well, not a surprise, but sad, that a number of black parents in Berkeley were starting to demand and request at least the IEP so that they could get Individualized Education Plans, which is what it stands for. So you get the sit-down meeting and you have the – circle of people that work with your child and you work on their individualized uh, education to fit their needs, but then people mm-hmm. are targeted, like you said, or um, tracked, and now you're a special ed student, even though you could be in the mentally gifted students, we called it back in my day, I forgot I forgot what they call it now, but um, right. the program where the students are in advanced level and so... You well, I'm sure
3: well, they call it GATE, but I'm not sure what GATE, they,
2: that's it. Yeah, well, GATE. Well, calls,
3: yeah. Well, mm-hmm. well, let me just tell you about
1: the special ed situation. They mm-hmm. get about, about a third more money for a special ed student. So they're mm. more than happy to stick your child off into it. And you have to be mm. real careful about those IEPs.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you really well, need it, to take mm-hmm. somebody with you to the class that understands that whole process.
2: Exactly. That's why I was saying that people who are educators who understand it and who are advocates to be there with the parent so they don't get sort of uh, railroaded into a narrow corner and that child is forever lost from the beginning. From kindergarten on, first grade, they're being tracked in the negative direction. So I agree that they have. we have to be trained on what an IEP is about and how to advocate for a parent to get the best services um, and not to be in the IEP if they're not properly diagnosed to be in that level of Uh, need, but if they need to be in the GATE program, we need to advocate for students to get into the GATE program, to get into the AP classes. You know, a lot of our students probably can qualify if they get the earlier training. Like you said, you know, early primary education, into middle school, into high school. It's too late when we advocate at high school level because they don't have the GPA and the um, SAT and the ACT scores to get into the better universities. So it's a long road, but we, we can step along every way with the student, the parent. And an advocate would be a suggestion just off the top.
0: I just got one quick question. Yeah, uh, the one quick question. The background for my question. My granddaughter came in this weekend, spent a weekend with her granddad. Who? did she have some stories? She got an award at oh, school. And I said to her, hey, where did you get the award for? Oh, I got the award, granddad, because I was being good in class and I wasn't talking, and my behavior in class was excellent. So They gave me an award. I said, well, who got the awards for getting A's and B's and doing their homework and, 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 and understanding and comprehending the things that's going to assist them going in life? She said, oh, they don't they don't get those out. They get those out uh, 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 towards the middle of the year or the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I said, "So, so my question is, why? Is it that the school system is more looking, more, more, uh, advancing towards their kids' behavior as mm-hmm. opposed to the kids being educated to do things or use things that's going to assist them in their life? I mean, is right? It, that, right. Is, is it our behavior? It's going to so, assist
2: us, or is that so? so so, so White there, people there. not knowing how to deal with black students and, uh, and that's, having that's no curriculum. That's where mm-hmm. I
0: think. That's where I think it's really. You know, uh, Doctor, that's where I think you really hit the nail on the head. Well, because that's, if that's they are, if, if they are in our school systems, if we allow this educational t- uh, the, uh, path that's going there now to continue, then kids of minority status are going to be feeling. Very dominated because they are being taught about not having the ability to be someone who can exist because you're right. you're out of control. You you but what if I got an A in that, but you're out of control. I got a, I got right. a, I gotta gotta history, but you're out of control. How am I out of control yeah. because I disagree with you? I have my opinion, mm. but I can't express right. my opinion because you say I'm out of well, control. Well, how, how do I, we take right. that back? How do we
1: take it back? Yeah, back I, yeah, I think we have to remember that this is not something that's been perpetrated on the kids. Uh, how many years ago was it when we had this professor over at Stanford who was trying to validate that somehow black men had a gene that innately made them more angry and susceptible to violence and all this kind of stuff? So this remember way, they remember that. It's has always been about the business of trying to say there's something abnormal about us Mm-hmm. You know, and so now yeah. they pass it on, and it has became more pronounced in the schools because you got a forty billion dollar a year operation going in this public school system just to mm-hmm. medicate kids and keep them mm-hmm. in their seats. Right, and, and then I could
2: give an example of that um, that is happening even more than back in my day. So there's studies now that show this that predominantly white teachers are disciplining black students for being talkative or. You know, um, energetic or, you know, too, too much in the classroom. Well, we have big personalities and they want to suppress that, or somebody's going to be pushed down instead of encouraged to have that creativity. So, my third grade report card, I read back on it, and it was in a predominantly white school where they were um, not really supporting black students. And actually, um, they were mainly for black students that I was in the third grade with. So, my report card reads: Moni is very bossy, she tends to be talkative and disrupts the class. Well, I was probably, you know, engaged in the class, in the conversation. And then the next grade I have, I move into a school where they actually valued black students a little bit better. And the same remarks, but it said, Moni has the marks of an executive. Um, she uh, is very commanding in the classroom or bossy or something, but these are signs of executive leadership into the future. So look how early you could be marked as a young person that you're bossy and a problem and a troublemaker. Versus, yeah. you're assertive, you know, like women. If we're yeah. assertive, uh, we're bossy. If we're women who are agitated, or we're black, we're angry black women. A white woman yeah. doesn't get the same criticism. No, and, no um, you're, you're absolutely right. right. And
1: how and how many tests do you see them running to find out if, if white men are, are,
2: have a, a violence gene in them? Have you ever heard of one? No. They're... No. No, well, racial I, bias is inherent in many streams of things from education, science, the medicine, law, legal, you know, everything that's profiling us in a negative light. Um, we've got to turn that around, get into being the educators that are preparing these studies, fight back and push into I've, – I've advocated for faculty to be hired, and they'll say, oh, we don't have any uh, qualified candidates. And I'm like, well, why does an African-American professor over at Stanford, why aren't they here at UC Berkeley? This was years ago they're maybe going to other universities where they might feel more welcome, but you need to reach out and make people realize their value to this university and they have scholarship and academia the addition as well as the role model that they provide to our young people. But to all people you know, white folks need to see the people of color in the classroom as teachers. Yes. As, but absolutely. you know, as long as they
0: say as long as they say that you don't you don't make any money being a teacher in the urban community, we're not gonna get our kids to come home and say, I'm going to teach my brother's, sister's, daughter's child in school. As long as we continue to hear that old Negro saying, you don't make no money, you don't make no money, don't teach, and so we can get that out of the community and realize and let our, let our kids realize, education, you're going to make money, but we Absolutely. have to drive down drive down that that green monster in our community that is making our housing completely unaffordable and then Mm -hmm. giving our housing to Mm -hmm. assist educators who teach in other counties, but they don't teach in Alameda County. I mean, there's there's a lot of them out there. Go up on on Oakland Hills. You're going to find thousands of them that teach in Contra Costa County, but they have housing in Alameda County. But our kids, our kids can't get a teaching job to teach their kids because they say, "Hey, guess what? You don't make no money teaching the well, we, Oakland." Well, how do we? How do we get rid of that? How do we get rid of that norm? Period.
3: Well, well, let, well let me just let me just say this. All right, so I had a meeting with my daughter's uh, teacher, who was, uh, like I say, marking her inappropriately, uh, chastising her for being outspoken for being talkative, Uh, you know, she was being pencil whipped uh, about her English class. So anyway, I went over to meet with her. And we had a rousing meeting, the school advisor, uh, my daughter, and this uh, teacher. And at the end, this was the most interesting conversation I've ever seen. My daughter's like one that's maybe 100 out of, uh, 2,900 students at our high school. It's the top high school in Walnut Creek. And can you believe when I went to say goodbye, I said, Oh, you ladies must live in the area. Both of those ladies live in Oakland. Both of the ladies, the white ladies that were serving and helping my daughter, both live in Oakland and reside in Oakland, but they teach in Walnut Creek. And here was the interesting thing they thought Oakland was a fine place to live. And they said, well, we like it because it's nonviolent. It's nonviolent. It's so peaceful. There's so many people there. We love living in Oakland. And, I, I, you know, it, just <laughs> brought me, it, brought, it brought me to tears to think that their reality of what Oakland was and what Oakland really is and how it relates to people of color, particularly to our young people, was like night and day. And then on Saturday, I'm sitting in my church, and I get up to go out to meet a friend of the show, Lorraine Taylor, with 1,000 Mothers uh, to Prevent Violence, you know, at Marcus 370 Adventist Church, every second Saturday, we have the COPE group, which comes together, and those are mothers who have lost their children to gun violence in the area, and they come together, and we sit with the police chief, or, well, many of the local uh, political figures or pastors or uh, Pastor Kwaku and and we just kind of nurture on one another and we have a specialist as Pastor Kwaku with the Family Solutions Center to come in and talk about how to triage yourself and how to get better, get over, Uh, you can't get over, but you can feel better about yourself dealing with this level of grief of losing a child. And who do I see in the vestibule? but Mayor Libby Shaft. And I was in shock because at first I passed her and I said, my, that's Libby Shaft And we've reached out to her for the past two years uh, unequivocally, no response, her office cannot come and meet with us. So I went back and I said, oh, are you here to meet with the 1,000 Mothers group? She said, no, but I am here to enjoy the services. I said, well, let me take you to your seat. So she came in, and she sat with me. And uh, when she got ready to speak, she got up to speak, and her speech was the most interesting speech I'd ever heard. Her speech was that she talked about a birthday party, the fact that she's sending 50 kids to college because she's 50 years old, and there's some kind of anniversary there, and she picked out the kids that are going. And then she went on to say that, you know, here, now, mind you, Market Street 70 Adventist Church has been in Oakland 90 years, and it's an African American anchor. Church for Northern California for Seventh-day Adventist, she said, I know that there's a lot of changes going on, but I'm just here to tell you that we're trying to go for a safer city. We're trying to make things different, make things more appealing for those people who are moving in, and you guys are going to have to accept change. We want you to work on how to go about Mm-mm. accepting this new change mm. is going to be ushered in. It was absolutely mm. phenomenal what she was saying, and I was—my mouth was open. The whole entire mm. congregation was sitting there with their mouth open. Are you kidding? Mm. <laughs> we have so many issues in this city, and for you to come here and say that we need to just be quiet and mm. acquiesce with the change and see if things are better as you guys move us out and move others in, I don't know what to say. I but it, it, but, uh, patronizing. but
1: don't, don't you find it ironic that we are always the great people who have to do the to changes? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: yeah. and, and, and we must deal with it. We, need, we must learn how to deal with it professionally and with a smile and stop having a bad attitude about all that. Stop complaining. Stop marching. Yeah. This is the same person that has allowed the city of Oakland to uh, stop drumming at the lake. This is the same person who has put a moratorium on protests that the public can't come together in the streets at the quad and protest and have a civil march uh, because it's outlawed. So, you know, we've got lots of work to do. Everybody, we're at the end of our show tonight. I want to just, uh, everybody you're listening to www t 25 com and this is Galaxy Talk Radio. I am your host uh, of Straight Talk with the Heart Brush, and my name is Barbara McGee. Of course, on the penthouse couch tonight, my co-host, wealth expert, Mr. Rodney Best. Rodney, finish with your two minutes, and then we're going to go to our special guest, uh, Ms. uh, Moni Law, with the NAACP, and then we're going to come and let Pastor Reku close. Go ahead.
0: You know, i am Thank you, Barbara. Okay. And uh, you know, I really enjoyed uh, uh, Miss Log. You know, I, I, um, I really, really enjoyed your your comments and the vision that you that you shared with our audience. the The only thing that I can really say is I look forward to talking about this more because I think the more that we express our feelings, the more solutions that are going to come to the table that are right there for us to seek. And put some put some action in, in in place, and you know we can march about it, we can cry out about it, but as we talk, we're going to get more and more solutions. And I think the more solutions we give to the kids, the the, the better their visions become. Because forty years, fifty years from now, uh, you know I, I won't be here, and and I just pray that the children will remember that there were those that did have an idea, there were those that did have a vision, and there were those that took action like you and yourself with the NAACP. And, and I just I applaud you and I, I, I look forward to seeing things get better and get more comfortable and and as you push into Washington DC, if you need us to sign petitions. Please let us know so we can post our petitions on our on our media pages and and get get support because absolutely it, there there's a change that has to come but mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the change has to change it back to what was working because what's going on right now it's not working and mm-hmm. you know and uh, real quickly before I get off there was a, a young student killed here in Oakland this this past weekend and I saw the Kids from um, Castlemont High School marching today. They marching in, in, down on Bancroft in in 90th. And you know, I I uh, I, I my condolences go out to the young man and his family, and my prayers go out to the young lady who's still in the hospital. That uh, you know she's fighting for her life. So mm. as we as we were even talking about someone sending an email, there was another killing. So. Mm. I, you know, I just say, hey, we we have to keep communicating to get solutions out there. And with that, mm-hmm. Barbara, back to you.
3: All right. Well, we thank you for that. And, you know, we, we do want to give you some real figures here. And one of the real figures are, is that as of now, uh, we have 251 uh, people that have been killed in the United States at the hand of the police department, uh, united across the United States. In Oakland, California, we can give you. Uh, we sadly report that that would make it uh, number 81 deaths for this year in Oakland, California. I think Chicago is at somewhere near 2,000. Uh, I think it's 2,700 for this year. You know, so we have just something's got to change. I want to go to Miss Uh, Ms. uh mm-hmm. Go ahead and. Uh, just kind of give us uh, your wrap-up about what you think we should be doing and what you're going to be doing and how we can support you and where can we go find information independently if we want to know what's going on and going to keep on the pulse.
2: Okay, so uh, first and foremost, I believe in a God who reigns above all things, including evil and justice and racism. Uh, secondly uh, it 's been said that without vision, the people will perish, and I agree with uh, the comments about our need to keep our vision forward and to implement and act upon it um, Third and final, with regard to where to touch base with each other because i 'm loving this conversation i 'm encouraged by it sometimes I get tired. I slept overnight, for example, with the homeless and because um, Jesus calls us to feed and uh, shelter the homeless, not to imprison them, which we're trying to do here at Berkeley tonight but um When you get tired, you get encouraged when other people come together. And so, this is a beautiful thing your conversation on this radio talk show. I encourage a similar type of conversation to continue, but to actually implement an action plan. So, I think we've had a number of proposed solutions, and maybe Barbara can summarize those and put them up on your website. Um, I can send you some links. Mm -hmm. And I can send you some links um, to organizations that are tuned in. The young people are incredibly. technologically savvy. My son's 24. He's a filmmaker. And uh, their production value is very high about what they can create. So they're very creative people on social media, Black Lives Matter website. They often have a lot of things on Black Twitter. Um, But there's a need and actually um, I think a coalescing right now of more organized and strategic planning with regard to how to save our young people and to ensure that future 40 to 50 years from now is a bright one and not facing death threats and racism in school and uh, disproportionate discipline and various crazy things that we're dealing with still many years later. So I agree with the comment earlier about we need to say stop, not that we're saying anything other than that right now, but we are saying for them to stop the madness and the threats and the discrimination that occurs from housing to employment to in the schools. So. We have a lot of work to do, um, and I think we have a lot of competent and capable people that are wiser than I am um, that we can draw upon from psychologists, therapists, uh, counselors, uh, teachers, educators, um, just people who love on one another to encourage our young people to know that they're not alone. So that's the message is to just love one another and ensure that they know that they've got a future and that we've got their back and we're going to protect them and advocate for them.
3: Absolutely. I, I tell you, I'm just so enamored. I'm so overwhelmed with uh, your professionalism, with your grace, with your, uh, with you being uh, someone who is so uh, completely competent to be at the helm at this moment. I thank you for your time. I can't believe you're right there at City Hall. Uh, giving us this information. We're going to be emailing this show out in duplicate. I'm going to send you a copy of the other show. And here at T25CL, we open our doors for you to push your cause. We are a media uh, uh, system that can – we have website. We have uh, international. We are tied in with BSCM. BCM. We have an artist showcase that we'd love to dedicate to you for TV if you ever need it. So you just let us know how we – can help. We're here to get the word out. I want to go to Pastor Kweku. Pastor Kwaku, in two minutes, if you want to give us just words of wisdom, we would appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Uh, I didn't hear that last part.
3: Oh, if you just want to give us just recap and just kind of close us out with a few words of wisdom, sir.
1: Oh, you're looking to looking to me for wisdom, okay? Wisdom.
3: Uh, yes, of course.
1: Wis- wisdom, organize. Wisdom, control your economic wisdom control your education, uh, wisdom, be dedicated to what you're doing. Uh, you know, I have been out here, and the other brother there, it seemed like him and I are somewhere in the same range. Uh, we were integrating schools in the South and doing all these things. For the, but it seems like I've been doing this all of my life. It just, it's just been one continuous battle after another, and and, and even more so now that the battle but sometimes when we all get disheartened, you know, you hear that old gospel, "I ain't no waist tied. Well, the, it, <laughs> the more the more they put these obstacles in front of me, the the less tighter I become. I be, I want to work more, that much harder, because I look at I look at my grandchildren, and I say, uh, I want them, I want them to be able to walk down the street safely. I want them to be able to go to school. I want them to be able to set up in a class where they are respected for being a human being and not based on you're black so you're different. Uh, and I, um, I am just uh, you know I I started an organization. Not I shouldn't say I don't like to use the term I because I work with a group of people and we started an organization called Family Solutions Inc. And what we do, we found out that we couldn't work within the system because. When you start asking for funds to go out and do things for your people, they pull them back real fast. They don't want to give funds to organizations that are run right and controlled by African people dealing with African issues. So we decided, well, if we don't have no money, we'll go out here, we'll beg, we'll do whatever we need to do. But we want to make sure that everybody we come in contact understand that they have, there is a door that's open for them that you will never be turned away because of LockerFight. And so, you know, my thing is, is that uh, we. I'm doing a radio show on KPR1radio.com every Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock, and we talk about these same issues. And, and the reason we got involved with that project is because we want to open up more outlets, more media vehicles by which people can start to get information and uh, uh, Become a rallying point for other people who are like-minded who want to do something about the serious problem that exists within our communities, so uh you know all I can say to you I'm, I'm so thankful to be able to, to be on the air with you guys and absolutely you. and, and, and I, these things are learning experiences for me, and I'll be learning until I leave the planet because that's the way God intended. You know, as long as we're here, we should be learning. We should be gravitating. Uh, but, you know, I'm like a sponge, and I try to teach my kids, absorb everything around you and take it in, and and have your, your own mind in terms of how you evaluate things, not the mind of the European culture or the European education or the European psychology, but your own African mind. And the only way you will ever be free is when you achieve that. You may not achieve it through going out, getting a job, working in the system where they're paying you lots of money where you can move into the biggest house you want to live in. But when you reclaim your sanity, when you reclaim your identity, then and only then will we be free.
3: Absolutely. I thank you, Pastor Kwaku. This has been uh, riveting. We want to thank www.t25cl.com, who is our parent company, who has allowed us the privilege to come live to you. Uh, We want to thank our guest, Ms. Moni Moni Law, uh, NAACP Youth Council. Uh, We want to give our blessings out and remember uh, the students of Berkeley High School at this time. I want to thank Pastor Quake, who, you know, his show is a fun uh, Tuesday, same day, 11 o'clock a.m. on KP. Tell me again.
1: KPR1radio.com. Uh-
3: Absolutely, and we're going to support him as well. So now, on the website, you're going to be able to find some information from the NAACP, how you can join, how you can be a part of it, uh, courtesy of Ms. Law. And uh, what are the upcoming activities? We're going to try to post that also on Straight Talk. So you can go there and find out more information. The NAACP does have a website, and this is coming from the Berkeley chapter. I I just want to take uh, one moment. I want to thank you, Rodney Best, for being my best co-host out there, Rodney. You're uh, welcome.
0: You're welcome.
3: I just want to go over a quick, uh, quick couple of minutes here. Okay, so in Berkeley, there's an organization that's called Berkeley Copwatch. They have a pocket guide. Uh, their phone number is 510-548-0425, and they also have a website, berkeleycopwatch.org. But what they say is you have the right to be in a public place and to obtain, serve, and, serve, um, and observe police activity. If the police stops anyone, stop and watch. Write down the officer's name, badge numbers, car numbers. Cops can be identified by name or by badge number, and that is the PC section. They 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 quoted here. Write down the time, date, the place, and the incident. All the details as soon as possible. Ask if the person is being arrested or and if so, what is the charge? Get witnesses immediately. Names and contact info. Write it down. Try, not, try to get um, the arrestees' name, but only if they are ready to give it, uh, if they've already given it to the police. Documents. Any injuries as soon as possible. Photograph them uh, by medical report uh, describing. Uh, make sure you have a medical report describing the details of the interview. If the cops actually ask, am I free to go? If you are not being detained, if yes, walk away. Ask, why are you detaining me? Uh, To stop you, the officer must have a reasonable suspicion to suspect your involvement in a specific crime, not just because of a stereotype. It is not a crime to be without ID. If you are being detained or you've issued a ticket, you may want to show ID to the cop because it can take, because they can take you to the station to verify your identity. And last, there are several notes here, but I just want to conclude with this. If a cop tries to stop and search your car, your house, or your person, say repeatedly that I do not consent to this search. If the car <clears throat> or do not open the trunk or the door. By doing so, you consent to the search of your property and to yourself. If at home, Step outside and lock the door behind you so the cops have no reason to enter your house. Ask to see the warrant and check the proper address, ju- judge's signature and what the warrant says. You know, it's very interesting that we have rights in this country. This is why it's called America. Our families and our ancestors have shed blood here to make sure that we have the same inalienable rights that are part of the Constitution. Uh, civil rights really pertain to us as people of color and descendants of slaves. There's some things that we must educate ourselves on, and as we've heard tonight, we also need to educate our children. Be proud. Be brave. Berkeley High, we love you. Thank you so much, Galaxy Talk Radio, two two five cl And to all my esteemed guests tonight, we thank you for your participation, and to the rest of you
2: you all a good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you so much. Good night. Lucky Land Casino asking
1: people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
2: Lucky?